0: Welcome to What To Discuss Now, I am your host AJ and I have Steve Rodling on with me tonight and tonight we are going to be reviewing Memories of Murder and Lupin the Third, the First which is one of the rarest titles ever for an animated movie and we're going to start with Memories of Murder first and Steve what did you think of this one?
1: uh i i uh, I, I loved love memories of murder uh big bong june ho fan anyway and um i also love any kind of investigative crime stuff and this this takes that and mixes it with um a lot of different kind of social commentary uh yeah. and it's a true story
0: um so and it, that's it really, always a plus too with it being a crime drama like this and something like the zodiac which I brought yeah. up to you, it's very similar in tone. I thought, but it is. It, do, it does have a lot. It's a lot more.
1: Um, I don't know if I want to say fatalistic or nihilistic. It's a. I don't think it's fatalistic necessarily, but uh, there's just. Um, it is a, It does. A, it, saying it's like Zodiac is is very much warranted. As I said earlier, I think it's on the money. It is very much about because um, Zodiac in a lot of ways is, you know, it follows along the procedurals, um, you know, as they investigate this case that just is sprawling and kind of faceless and nameless, you know, and it yeah. does have that same thing, but it's also both movies are very, very much about the three different men and kind of like the different personalities that they even like represent as archetypes, you know, like, they're, they're, it's very much about the men that are doing this and what drives them i think both movies at the yeah. heart of it
0: and at the heart it's like three different people all going for the same thing with all different view types it seems like like you mentioned yeah and it's very intriguing the way the director of Parasite. Does this? I think this is really his masterpiece. I mean, we talked about the host, we talked about Parasite before on the show, but I mean, we do consider this his best film, I think. And for so long in the states, it's been so hard to find without it being like almost few hundred bucks. So I'm glad Neon is re-releasing it with Fathom Events in theaters and yeah, on. Also-
1: That's directly as sorry. I was just going to say that's that's direct result of the success of Parasite, too. So I think, yeah,
0: yeah, like we owe owe Parasite a lot for the states finally getting memories of murder back because I've only heard about this film because I was too young to know of it when it came out. And I don't even know when it came out back in what, 2003?
1: Yeah, I remember when this came out. I, I read about this in Rue Morgue. I'm pretty positive that's where I would have read about it, but I have never actually got to see it. And it's it's it really was it really was special. I recommend any any anybody that's a fan of a few different things. If you're a fan of you know, there's a lot of good Korean cinema out there. And so if you're a fan of Korean cinema, you got to go see Memories of Murder. But also, Bong Joon Ho is having a moment and he's on a roll. So go see him uh and all you know and, and third it's just it, it is a masterpiece and you know i always really loved the host of his movies yeah. uh but i think that this is my favorite bong jun ho film uh now maybe easily i know i know all this stuff has passionate fans like snow snowpiercer especially But
0: honestly, I can never get into Snowpiercer. Yeah, I I get why
1: people like it, but I'm not super. It's it's not one of my favorite movies, but I know a lot of people love it. But I actually like Parasite more than I like Snowpiercer by probably a wide margin. And one of those is my favorite of his. I said, you know, The Host was the movie that made me a fan.
0: And I'd agree with that because The Host was when I was beginning to get into more independent films, like around that time when I was becoming like a quote-on-quote film buff at the time, and I just saw Tarantino's quote on the host uh, DVD cover at Blockbuster, so I rented it, and I loved it. So I think that made me a fan of his. But, I mean, Memories of Murder is a masterpiece, not the way the Internet is throwing that word around now when we see something that's really good, and people say it's a flat-out masterpiece. But this is every way of the word masterpiece is to be talking about how this is really one of the best crime detective movies that came out in the past 20 years.
1: It's up there with anything in the genre. It's up there with anything in the genre. Uh, It's in a post uh, Silence of the Lambs world. It is it is right up there with that film. I put it right next to that film. I put it right up there with. Uh, you know if he uh zodiac uh or even um uh seven or you know any of the big depends how you feel but i may put it up there with the mystic river as well sure you could be any 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 great crime drama that hollywood or anybody else has produced um otherwise it uh it stands with them and is better than most of them. It it really is a near-perfect film. Um, and it's funny. You really go on a journey with these guys. like You really do, yeah.
0: It almost feels like a miniseries that you're watching. And it's like, what, roughly two hours and 20 minutes. But it does not feel that long at all. Almost like a Tarantino crime drama. It just moves. It has that moody dialogue. It has that great charismatic acting in there. It just feels fantastic
1: well i think all that goes down to uh giving bong joon ho credit as a filmmaker if if you're throwing out names like tarantino i think that uh bong joon ho is somebody that is just as capable of, of being a masterful storyteller and has shown that so that's what i'm saying is basically he is a heavyweight and this film backs that up and it is um it, this film, there are it, this film is funny. It is very very dark, and, and it also lets you get into the nitty gritty of getting involved in investigation. But also, it it shows you what happens when these murders happened in eighty six and eighty seven. Um, they had never seen anything like this, and that's not what. Policing was about, as you see from these guys, um, you know, the most they had ever seen of anything like a serial killer. The term wasn't even that old yet and was on American television or in the movies. And there's even the part in the movie where they they send off the semen uh, that they think is from the crime scene. And it's just the Americans are going to solve it with their tests, And there's this whole weight that's thrown back behind kind of like a naivete uh, to how things are done. And so you get to see where really there's some things that are circumstance, but really a lot of it is just people doing the best that they can, but still being like painfully inept you know um and so it's just it's really interesting to watch because it's one of those things like the investigation part of this film it is taken from it it's not that far deviated from what happened um and so i just think it's really interesting to see stuff like that and kind of see the social context of what's going on there there's a lot of <clears throat> there's those civil drills where they do because obviously they think they get in the and it's really easy it's you know it's obsession plays into this too like you get the stuff where if they think something's a part of the mo like the raining, that you go with it and there's and then it shows you how even when you're sure of something in these investigations oftentimes a million different leads that you're sure of that do fit turn out to be nothing and it doesn't even really tell you you finally realize that He wasn't attacking with the rain. He was attacking with something else that you find out at the end, the the last murder. And I'll just throw the spoiler out there. Through the civil um, disobedient uh, drills, which are basically everybody get inside and turn off, get off the street drills that the government does to kind of squash these protests. And he wasn't even killing with the rain. And that's what they thought. It just had happened to rain on all the nights when there were protests leading up to it. But uh, so I thought that was, I just it got me thinking about all the different stuff with the DNA that you just watch these guys kind of they're over their head anyway, just exhaust yeah. themselves to the point of breaking, you know, which they, they also d-
0: uh, do at least two of the three of them definitely break. And speaking of the term serial killers wasn't even like that, you know, far out yet. I mean, I mean, it was in the eighties.
1: It it was a really big thing, but as far as it was, it was very much not in Korea. though. Not that's what I'm saying. What they knew about it was on, and they even talk about that. Uh, the guy talking about making the movie, um, they talk about the fact that that word to them was something from like a TV drama you know, or a yeah. movie. That was the best, that, yeah, and, and that's the best they had. It's not, and he even asked the, the guy that he's jealous of, because he's there from Seoul, and he thinks that, you know, at one point, exas kind of tired, he looks at him and just says, so how many of these do you see in Seoul, which is one of the biggest cities on the planet? And the guy says, never. You know, it's like, none. It's just, we don't see this there either. You know, and see the game, right. because... It was kind of, a, at least it's been thought of as, especially then, as a much more like Western idea. You know? Yeah. Like,
0: so, yeah. And that was the really interesting thing about Memories of Murder that I really enjoyed. Like, this was one of the first cases, and I didn't realize how like close they stayed to the facts of this. And I think when uh, this was announced, when NEON was going to re release it on Criterion, is releasing it on Blu-ray later, one of my buddies on Facebook said they better have the documentary of the guy that really did this attached as like a special feature to the Blu-ray because he said this is really a batshit story that really happened in Korea. And now I'm even more interested in finding out exactly how it happened or how close the movie was to the facts of well but I know
1: boom uh ho uh, just reading the the just basic uh, notes on memories of murder uh it, it, it's pretty close um it's it, the mo is 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 pretty similar uh, the, uh, the sequence of events is pretty similar he just tried to basically because he just found it such a very interesting sociological kind of story that also kind of painted a picture of where Korea, South Korea was at that time. And, um, so it is pretty faithful, man. Uh, but you also get to weave in like just these characters about the, I mean, these, this journey is about just these men, about these three men too. So that, that I'm sure is, and yeah, those guys are all based on real guys too. All three of those guys in the chief, um, but it, uh, you know, I'm sure that there's a lot of Bong Joon-ho in, in there as well, and I'm not sure exactly right. who wrote it with him, but, uh, it's actually probably closer than a lot of movies, um, uh, you know, that purport to be, I'm, I'm sure a movie can say it's inspired by a true story and have nothing to do with anything true. So, you know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, like that old Mitch Hedberg joke, Hey man, you seen the movie inspired by the two story about talking dinosaurs? Oh,
1: <laughs> you know, I miss Mitch, man. Mitch was a genius.
0: All right. So what would your final take on memories of murder be? I think I mean from our statements, I think I would honestly give this a five out of five. Oh yeah. If I'm if I'm rating it like that, it's
1: five out of five. It's an A plus. It is Definitely better than any new release I have well uh, problem uh, uh there's only maybe one or two new movies I can think of this year that uh um would even be able to hang out in the same ballpark as this movie, but not as good as this movie. Um so <laughs> yeah, this is the best quote unquote new release I've seen of 2020, which uh, you know, whatever. It's it, but it's five of five A plus hundred and whatever percent it's great man i i just recommend it if you just like really really if you just like good cinema you're you're gonna love it
0: all right and now we're gonna talk about limpin' free the first so this i wasn't really brought up on this cartoon when i was a kid even though i know his impact but i thought it had a very rough first act what did you think of this one steve I thought it was really good. Uh, it's hard to sometimes switch
1: because I watched, um, another movie that we're doing for another episode. Uh, I watched memories of murder and then I watched the movie that we're doing for another episode, both of which are very different, but we're just a yeah. more <laughs> film kind of evening, uh, and not knocking looping the third or anything like that. But, uh, it just, it's this globe-trotting kind of like Adventures of Ten Ten kind of feel. And it yeah. has that s- Studio Ghibli, which I, you know, I've never sat down and I guess I may have to give my nerd card back, but I have never done the Miyazaki dive yet. Like I've never watched like Spirited Away or like Howl's Moving Castle or really done any of that Studio Ghibli stuff. Even I think I'm I watched this- one of those on HBO Max.
0: But I'd love Match, to, or, like, like,
1: I, I give it, i get it like i get it i get its significance I, I mean not fully but i understand that there's a significance that i need to check out there but right. i haven't done it and so this as an introduction when i looked up and kind of saw what it was you know it really was for me like a nice palate cleanser after the heaviness right. of, you know it was a night it's glow. and i thought that like i thought my girlfriend's kid would like it like he's 12 Yeah. he likes to, you know it, it'd be the type Happy of stuff dreams. yeah yeah, I mean I like James Bond. I like uh I mean in uh, and, and uh James Bond isn't quite right. Tintin, Adventures of Tintin, is 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 more apt or like even like DuckTales maybe or something. But uh you know, Yeah sure. But uh yeah, oh yeah, Chippendale, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. that I,
0: Chippendale, Steve. Yeah,
1: no, I got you. I, I remember Chippendale. I love those guys. But uh, um, it's fun, man. Uh, and it also is surprisingly
0: adult, I thought, in areas. Yeah, like there's a lot going on. Like that's what I wanted to talk to well, you Well, the about. whole thing's about the Third Right coming back. Yeah, I was like, that. I was like, damn, what are they doing? Because this is like heavy. Well the for one children. guy
1: smokes, the one guy smokes the whole yeah. time. They're using like semi-automatic weapons. People do die. I mean, this isn't this is a film for children, but it's not a like it's not a kid's movie.
0: Yeah. Like I- at least
1: not by uh American standards, but I don't think those movies are necessarily made with the G rating in mind either.
0: Right, because I think this got a PG rating, which makes sense. There's a lot of the third right stuff in there. I was That's surprised surprising. by some
1: of that. And you also,
0: think- you know, everything is seems a little
1: bit more sensitive in in America right now with what you can say and what you can't say than other places which whatever weird. But uh I do think that um and and, and just for I haven't seen a lot of that stuff. I was surprised pleasantly surprised by that. I mean, I I yeah. I find it a little bit trite I mean, yeah, but I like I don't think it's supposed to be like that deep of an experience. And this is a long line. This was the, the significance for anybody listening to this that doesn't follow Lupin the third. And uh, I don't wouldn't be surprised uh, this was the first digital film out of this long existing franchise from these guys, Monkey Punch, that were in Studio Ghibli. Okay, that's the that's the background. And I had to look that up too because I didn't really know. Now, I
0: remember hearing or reading about that when that first came out. And I was like, what's the significance of that?
1: But I don't remember this at, at all coming out. This is the first I had looked this up. And, and I had never heard of any of this uh, at all. And so, yeah, but it goes back to, I think it said, the, the early, early 70s.
0: Yeah, and a lot of people gave this film like backlash when they first announced that. Really, they were like, "Why?" When the, heck the you reviews did... of
1: it, I read, were seemed to be pretty positive. So, it's it like, not kind of the reviews
0: per se, but when they first announced that it would be the, their first digitally made film, they were kind of like, "Why would you do that? You're such a classic animated studio, you know?" Like, that's the backlash the film kind of got when it was announced.
1: Yeah, no, and you get a lot that kind of thing. I, we're all guilty of that sometimes, like. But I do, as a whole, nine days out of ten, I don't do that. But there will be a project that'll come out that I'll do that too. Like right now, it's that fucking sorry. It's that it's that Robert Zemeckis, uh, D- Del Toro, HBO Max, The Witches um it's it that broken my rule of not shitting on stuff before i see it just because the whole idea of that and it, yeah I, you know when i sit and actually think about it to myself i kind of know how that movie's gonna go and it's gonna be you know decent but there's some talent behind it it's not gonna be terrible it's not gonna be great but the nick nicholas rogue you know did the original and don't look now and walk about uh, you can't even come close to that. And I don't like Robert Zemeckis. So I break my rule and I just shit all over it. So when you say that like looping the third people immediately, that's not, you know, we're not saying people said it was bad reviews. People just sometimes you, you hear an idea of a movie and you go, Oh man, come on. That's a tear. I can't handle that. And so I, I, yeah, it seemed like a lot of fans when they said we're going digital with Lupin the third, we're like, no, you're not. That's a terrible idea.
0: <laughs> but, like, that's with every fandom, though, when something first gets announced. Because you're either going to be really spectacular everybody's going to be on board or nobody's going to be on board. And that's what it felt like with Lupin. The third, when that got announced, and I was like, "Well, mine <laughs> doesn't matter that much." I mean, everything's going digital nowadays. I uh,
1: it's it's gonna happen, man. It's it's gonna happen. That's 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 not should, that should be your le- uh, least worry, I guess. I don't know how they do it though.
0: I mean, Christopher Nolan is like one of the last ones that's not going digital yet, and sooner or later, that'll have to happen.
1: Well, we'll see. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't, I don't even I mean, know what I don't he know. does. I don't, I'm not, I, can't
0: I think
1: get no to the one to retire here. before that. Yeah. Well, I don't, you know, I, I've i got, I feel like I've just stepped out of the weeds here in an area I don't know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what podcasting is all about. Yeah, but Memories of Murder is great. I know it doesn't happen to be much, <laughs> but I really don't, I, I really don't have any idea what Nolan even shoots on, man. So
0: <laughs> no what's he should... shoot on?
1: What's, what's Nolan shoot on? It's
0: everything except digital, I think.
1: Oh, okay. All right. Well, okay. Fine. I like his movies, so he can do what he wants.
0: Yeah, but back that's all to- it
1: takes. That's that's it. That's the only metric: is did I like it? Sure. Go ahead then.
0: Carry on. <laughs> Carry on, Chris to- Nolan. Jesus. Back to Lupin. So I was very like surprised how like the political correctness of storytelling in kids' movies were just thrown out of the water with them having to turn right all over there like we were talking about
1: yeah well you get a danger i think with that attitude of uh our our having generation of stupid kids um so I hope kids are learning about the third Reich and they're not afraid to talk about it, but I, I don't know. I was surprised at seeing the third Reich show up here. I knew that, but, uh, I thought it was cool. Like it reminded me of like, Oh, you know, and there's some Raiders of the lost Ark here for sure. And not oh, yes. just cause the Nazis, just the whole globe trotting archeology. span There's a lot of, you know, and the Nazis, there's a lot of stuff, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I thought it was cool that the third right th- I mean, Nazis just are, always make a good bad guy. If you can always make the Nazis the bad guy in a movie, it'll be fun. Like, usually it'll be cool. I promise you. Like, people are we gonna love...
0: Go Bill Burr here and say, I don't care if we get canceled if we say uh, Nazis always make for ba- good bad guys in movies here." Uh, is that, is that a controversial point?
1: <laughs> it's just a fact. I mean, it's a fact it, now i mean the war's been over since 1945 for most of us <laughs> and uh, uh nazis have been fun to be villains uh ever since i'm not even talking about relatable villains i'm talking about cartoonish and not even just villains i mean people raiders of the lost ark you know even happy recently i mean my gosh man nazis may be the best go-to uh, stock bad guy in cinematic history next to the Indian.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> I did that on purpose. I'm sorry. Bringing Bill Burr to do an introduction uh, advisory for this episode. Pretty soon, if he keeps it up, he may need the work.
1: <laughs> but you but know, Bill think... Burr
0: has been doing this for like the past five years. It's rather you get him by now or you don't.
1: Yeah, I just don't understand how it's not in some way manufactured outrage because uh, you know, oh they dude, know it all he,
0: is. It's all selective outrage. They I
1: know think. what he's doing. Well, not even selective, that it's just like manufactured that nobody's really that pissed off that it's probably that it's like twelve people on Twitter and then it gets amplified because more people are bored. And the only thing to do on Twitter is to comment and retweet. So it's not hard for something to catch fire for say a day and a half after Saturday night, you know? And so with his situation, number one, it's not a real problem because what he said already went through standards and practices at NBC. You know what I mean? Like it clearly yeah, had every... the green
0: light that monologue
1: before he even came up there. It's exactly. NBC. That's what I was talking about with my dad. Lauren Michaels had to approve that, I'm sure, or or people that are the people that actually do the producing job there and the
0: entire cast. Nobody came out against it. You know, and not only just... that, like the heads of NBC, not only 30 Rock and SNL, just like the heads of NBC, had to be like, okay, yeah, this is fine.
1: Exactly. And then you get everybody online. You know, it recreates this, like I said, it, it be, I can just see it. Saturday night, people have had a few beers, whatever. They're hanging out. They're watching SNL or they're, they're not. They're on their phones and they get notified that one guy's mad about <laughs> SNL. And so they all retweet it, and until they were all, and until you find out Monday morning that Gal Godot, by God, has been cast as Cleopatra, then you're mad at Bill Burr and his career's <laughs> over until it's not. I mean, that Gal Godot thing was hilarious when that happened. It's a movie, man. It's a who, it's, I mean, who played her last? Elizabeth Taylor? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Why who ca- who cares? I don't even want to talk. I mean, you know, but yeah, just um Yeah, but Lupin the third was great. Yeah, but Lupin the Third was fun. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, Lupin the Third was fun, and I'm sure that the creators are now upset that we like it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they're like, we did not know from middle age, right now it's for this
1: demographic.
0: <laughs> final grade on whooping i think i'd give it a three out of five. Oh yeah because you know like actually, i said it's fun enough but it did have a really rough first act but the second and third act were really fun yeah it's true it d- does get better
1: as it goes along but and the reason why i wouldn't give it any higher than three five mainly is the idea is cool the characters are cool the sequences themselves are cool but it does kind of in between each set piece like drag, like that connective tissue to where you're really supposed to care about the small moments and the yeah. characters. It's not there. And then there's like, I think at the end, they kind of want you to have an emotional reaction that it doesn't really earn. So, but it's fun. So yeah, three out of five is, is perfect for Lupin III, third. It, and it's even if like me, and I think you two—you don't know anything about this franchise—it doesn't really matter. But you probably like it more if if you okay. if you do.
0: Yeah, like if you're a diehard fan of Lupin and stuff like that, I think you would really appreciate this. But again, if you're not a fan or you if you don't know much about it, then it'll still be fun as a standalone film, also.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's right on.
0: All right. So everybody, that was. What to Discuss Now, and have a good night. Hello, everybody. This is What to Discuss Now. I am your host, AJ, and I am joined by Steve Rodling. And today we're doing a special episode of Reviews from the Vault. And this is our second episode doing Reviews from the Vault. And tonight's topics will be Black Moon... Observe and report. And taxi driver. First off, we are starting with Black Moon, which is basically a really trippy version of Alice in Wonderland. So, Steve, what did you think of Black Moon?
1: I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, it's it's it's. Um, so I like a lot of the '70s kind of more experimental surrealist stuff. Um, yeah, I thought that it was disturbing. I thought that it was kind of. Funny, um, playful, it, it kind of, have you seen the Jan sfangmeier Alice, the Czech one? Have you seen that? By I don't think so. Because they'd be cool to watch together. But yeah, it is uh, It is a trip down the rabbit hole type movie. There's a lot of, uh, um, it's very sexually kind of uh, pedophilic in a way, or, or almost prepubescent. So I do think that this movie would make modern
0: audiences uncomfortable yeah, um, that's one reason I'm glad I didn't watch it with my dad because I was about to. And then <laughs> I, uh. <laughs> oh, daddy, it was <what's> going on. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> this is weird, Dad. Uh,
1: yeah, no, uh, it is. But it's Louis Malle. Um, he was married to Candace Bergen for a while. But um, oh,
0: that's a fun fact.
1: Yeah, he won. Uh, he uh, he was a great director, great French director. He most people know him from My Dinner with Andre.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And he also won a documentary Best Oscar way back in 1957 for Le Monde that uh um he and Jacques Cousteau directed together. He had a long, long career. He'd probably still be alive making movies, except he died and when he was like 65, maybe even before that. He was pretty young when he died. He was, he was you know, 60, 65, and he had lymphoma. So, but yeah, I actually do like Louis Mao stuff. Um but this movie has like that kind of it's and, and plus there's the hyper violence at the beginning. Basically, it sets this world and you really don't know what's real, and what's going on. But there's just it just kind of drops you in this world with this girl just driving down the highway and she's in the middle. There's and then there's all the guys and the girls are killing each other in warfare. It's a it's a, like a war of the sexes. And
0: yeah. Like very much a
1: dystopian film to it. Sure. And that's the world. That's not even the surreal. So you start on a surreal level, you know, and then, you know, I always thought after the the beginning with the interaction with the uh, armed men, you know, trying to shoot her when they found out she's a girl, you know, and that's kind of starts everything. Maybe she got shot there and we're, you know, then we're on some, that's the last thing that happened that's real or maybe none of it's real, but it's really, this is a movie that you could go in. And even I didn't really definitely didn't understand all of the symbolism because there's a lot. Um, Yeah. It's heavy and yeah, it's it's all symbolism and it's all very, it's very oddly toward this girl that I don't, I I didn't look to see if she's underage, but she's young.
0: And almost like the chosen one kind of. Yeah.
1: It's got a very, but it's just, you know, she's mother and she's lover. And she like, there's all this weird, the whole thing feels like a really unsettling dream. There's all these dream like elements to it. Like for like, one of the things that made me think of like actual dreams and made me feel uncomfortable was when, she sits there and has conversations with people that aren't saying anything to her. Like the guy's just ogling her and touching her and looking at her like yeah. she is like little, you know, sex pot or what, you know, like he just, she's so young and supple. He's just touching like her. Last
0: house on the left is with that. Sex sure. Man. But th- this has a more like
1: um, almost kind of prime primal kind of feel to like this, It's just one of these things that argues um, has a very kind of almost based argument about sexuality, I think, about female sexuality. But, yeah, I don't think that a lot of this French kind of like sexual artiste, Louis Mal, stuff like that would age. very. Like I said, I think people would be very turned off by this now.
0: Oh, dude, this one getting canceled so hard right now. Sure.
1: Yeah, sure. But uh, I you <laughs> know, I think it's it's really good and it is disturbing. Um and some of it's funny, like the unicorn is funny. Um you know, but, the penguins um, funny too. Yeah, and you know, but there's just all these off-putting scenes that are kind of purposely provocative and um but you know, it is kind of just like this modern Alice that, you know, you wouldn't be out of place if she was like hanging out, maybe like smoking a joint by the side of the road or something. You know, it's it is a very it's very much a movie of 1974, 75 when it came out. And it actually did win a couple of French Oscars, too, for like cinematography and stuff. So, I mean, it was a it was it's one of these films that kind of came out. And if it wasn't for Criterion, though, it would have probably been lost.
0: Oh, yeah, it would have been like literally in the vault like so many other films are right now that we haven't yeah. seen. And this one, I mean, this one was just mind-blowing mind and mind-boggling the whole time. It's just... And like you said, it threw you into this universe like right from the get-go and it just doesn't let up. It gets really uncomfortable. But, I mean, I feel like it did some of that for thought, but also had its core value intact when it was also doing that which made it watchable versus something like blood-sucking freaks you know
1: yeah well uh no comment on blood-sucking freaks (laughs) i like blood-sucking freaks but this is different to me like this is like a almost you know david lynch said he wanted to uh make moving paintings like he he with his work when he first started, that's what he was interested in kind of doing was make a painting that moved. That's what he wanted film to do. And so this kind of is, is a very artistic approach to filmmaking um, in the word of seeing what you're doing as art. And it comes off that way. Um, It comes off. Yeah. It comes off painterly and there are scenes in it that are, it is very much in the camp of surrealism. um, And there's stuff also, it feels like, you know, there's the scene with all of the clocks that she's throwing that keep going out the window and the clock keeps going off, which could also be talking about so many kind of painful, obvious, heavy handed things about female anatomy or female, you know, <laughs> temperament or Pain whatever
0: in time, whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And there's all that kind of stuff. And, and so, but it's done really well and it is it is heavy handed and up its own ass but it is that kind of thing and you either like that kind of thing or you don't so mileage is going to vary from about 100 to 0 with this depending on just who you are if what I have described is is like French 70s surrealistic pedophilic or prepubescent like weird whatever kind of sexual uh, something (laughs) Um, uh, you know the uh, version of alice in wonderland it doesn't really make any narrative sense whatsoever that either sounds like a sign me up time to use an
0: individual or get me out of this room as quickly as possible <laughs> right and this is like the most roman polanski film that isn't a roman polanski directed film ever with what you just described
1: it as Oh, really? Did I get it? See, maybe because I watched The Ninth Gate earlier. I just have Polanski on the brain. <laughs> I, mean, I he, love The Ninth Gate. I love, I love Polanski, but I love, The Ninth Gate is so much fun. I can watch that. I have to watch that every year right before Halloween.
0: You know, I never realized when I was watching it for the first time that it was like a parody. But uh, it's. I mean, it's some of it's funny. Yeah, and... Uh... So what are your final thoughts on Black Moon? Because this is such a hard one to really grade, in my opinion. Well, I think as a movie, it kind of
1: does. Uh, I think as a film of what he, what, he, what Mal was trying to do, what Louie Mal set out to do. I think he succeeded. Um, and you either, you just, it's not meant to be really, I liked this or I didn't like this. And like I said, right. this is filmmaking as kind of expression and, an art and you either are there for it and want to experience that and feel uncomfortable and also feel other things, but partially feel uncomfortable and just kind of experience this art or you don't. But in terms of, did it work as art? I think it really did. And I'd give it a four out of five. I wouldn't go all the way to five, but I think it's a really good, solid movie. Uh, and expertly done in a lot of ways. I think he's an interesting filmmaker for sure. Um, and yeah, I think that that's uh, one of his more interesting films is it shows with, you know, being chosen to be restored by Criterion. Um, I think that that was a noteworthy thing to do.
0: So four, four out of five, for sure, easily. And I kind of agree with you because, man, I just... Com- <laughs> this movie is so hard to grade right. for me because it's just one of those, like you said, you're either here for it or you're not. And like... Right and i enjoyed it i did but like at the end of the day i think i'd give it probably a 3 out of 5 in my opinion sure yeah
1: yeah it's
0: this is all about i think this is all
1: a lot about you like you can go so far with with like how it was helmed and i think that succeeded but um other than that i think you're feeling it's just going to come down to a person
0: but can i say something steve sure it's a no for me dog. It wasn't horror at all.
1: <laughs> it's a no for me dog. Yeah, it wasn't no, it, it, it wasn't was, uh, horror at all. It's not it wasn't horror. He <laughs> promised us he'd be scary. He <laughs> promised me it would be scarier. Oh man, I hope that guy didn't listen to this. <laughs> I really don't care. Fuck that guy. But uh uh yeah, no. If, please if you're going to engage with me on social media, and I hope you do. I hope you do. But please don't tell me how something's not horror. Or just just don't be that guy. If you don't have enough joy in your life to shut up for five seconds and telling anyone what something isn't, <laughs> then <laughs> just take take your ball and
0: just go. <laughs> All right. And now, what do you want to do first? Train, observe, and report, and taxi driver. You want to start out with taxi driver since. And- Observe came after? Uh, Sure. Go. Yeah, that makes more sense. All right, so Taxi Driver. I mean, you've pretty much seen this movie a hundred times if you haven't. Sorry, you're not living your best life if you haven't seen this more than five times. You should probably <laughs> do that. <laughs> but Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver, I mean, this is probably one of his finest films that he's ever acted in. And Zodie Foster in this is amazing too. Yeah, you know, taxi
1: driver is just one of those, you know, seminal kind of uh I've been more prepared to talk just like observe and report as comedic taxi driver. But just if I'm gonna say something about taxi driver, it's just seminal um uh and it is for a lot of reasons i can't really feel comfortable to get into to a a deep dive discussion on scorsese's taxi driver right now But right. <laughs> when i think a taxi driver i do think of I, I and i also think of a portrait of a city that no longer exists too um because we spend a lot of time in new york and that city that that city that it's reflecting that kind of dangerous place that it's no uh, longer there. Blank it's no continent. longer there. Yeah, and it is it, it in a lot of ways it's a shame. But uh you know, Travis Bickle is a character
0: that there's is, another Bill Bird triggered. Steve wants more violence in New York, everybody.
1: I i do think that there is <laughs> something to be said for for more violence in the in uh at the right uh in in proportionate <laughs> amounts in proportion in proportionate amounts i just want yeah what was it just want the universe to balance itself it's like when sure. you're eating popcorn it's like portion control you know sure sure no i know i don't want more violence <laughs> i just wish the city had uh not lost its uh character along the way it used to be a collection of neighborhoods and stuff and now it's it's just it's for tourists uh but anyway uh taxi driver you got you know De Niro in that movie just is the ultimate kind of nihilist. And um, it, that, that kind of character has really become an archetype in itself. And it is a character, this type of angry vigilante who is racist, who is homophobic, who hates women, who uh, is very, uh, really just an empty kind of shell of a sociopath that is dangerous. The interesting thing about that character is that character to a lot of people and uh, has become a folk hero almost. And, (laughs) you know, people love, you know, what, what was just an interesting character study, what was supposed to be an interesting character study, a lot of these times people just, they get caught up in the dialogue. They get caught up in how cool they think it would feel like, I'm going to walk around and clean the streets or whatever, you know, but (laughs) nobody really thinks of like the details of of, like what that movie was trying to show you. Like you weren't supposed to watch that and think, oh, man, Bickle's pretty cool, man. No, you were supposed (laughs) to be scared. Like, I always thought Taxi right. Driver was almost a horror film. Yeah, it's suspense thriller more than sure. it
0: was, like, a drama film.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it is a suspense film. I, de- I definitely think it's a suspense drama. But in the end, it's just so violent. But it, it but it does have shades of horror and shades of exploitation, especially, like I said, that end. And it's also got the real-life true crime uh, tie of it because of – um. Uh, oh gosh, you know the, assa- the uh, Hinkle, the assassination attempt yeah. that was tied, that was blamed on the movie. It was blamed on Travis Bickle. A fault that I don't like when people do that, but uh, it, it does have that association. But um, I think that this movie also was scary to probably a lot of parents because of how young Jodie Foster was. Um, she was thirteen when she did this role, which again also. You know, maybe maybe uh, I don't know if you would. Anyway, it's just very different than. It's just a lot more of a hardcore thing than you're going to see a lot of studio films go for um, in 2020. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but just the type of monumental movie that it is. It almost feels pointless for me to even try to talk more about Taxi Driver on its face.
0: All right. And, like, one of the things I didn't realize about the Taxi Driver was how young Jodie Foster was when she took this. I mean, that must have been uh, pretty controversial when that happened, when this yeah. came out. I mean, people think this movie, like,
1: became controversial. People look at stuff like this wrong, like, again, to keep hammering home at the same point. Like, this was always controversial. Like, there wasn't a time when, like, Taxi Driver was like, you know, leave it to Beaver. You know, this was always meant to, like, shine an ugly kind of spotlight on an American psyche. And uh, yeah. also, when you take that ugly psyche and put it in an ugly place, or, you know, and, and they clash. Uh, so, you yeah, know, it, it, it's just, um, yeah, it, it is, and it's it's great. It's when Scorsese was just on fire, like, back then. Like, this, like this was just crime, yeah. Yeah, this Mean Streets uh king of comedy, you know, even the into the mid eighties, you know, stuff like after hours. Like I just I like a lot of yeah, you know, I think I, if I kept going with it, I'd probably find out. I like a lot of Scorsese. But um <laughs> yeah, you know, it is just it like and so what we'll be looking at with the other movie, I think is a good place to switch it is just by reiterating that Travis Bickle created an actual character type and he d- didn't create it, but I think that a lot, he cemented kind of an archetype that a lot of other characters emulate in Hollywood across genres. Right.
0: And man, I just love taxi driver. And I think if you do a deep dive on this, this is one of the first films about toxic a uh, man masculinity here because of the psyche that Robert De Niro has is a lot like their american people had at the time and still have yeah it's definitely a
1: i mean yeah i mean he's a soci- he's a sociopath i mean he's a home he's more than that he's he's homicidal i mean he does he within him he has every um kind of nasty characteristic that make him a monster that you can think of. Like he he looks down on minorities. He uh hates gays. He thinks it's a plague. He wants to wash all the junkies and the pimps and the whores or whatever, like right down the fucking sewer or whatever he says. You know, I mean he, he right. hates he hates people. He hates New York. He really hates America and a lot of this stuff and he hates women and he does not even understand it like if you want to think about what a monster Travis is, like, he really does woo... Um, oh, shoot. I just forgot the actress's name as I was talking. Oh, gosh. Sybil. Uh, uh, Shepard? Yes, uh, yes. Yes, See, he really does woo her character, and, and, and she really does like him. But even when he's not trying to be a complete and total fucking creep, he can't help it. He just takes her... To the porno theater, like that's a normal thing for a girl like that and a guy like – and just a girl and a guy, any girl. I didn't mean a girl like that. I just mean any uh, young woman wants to go out on a Friday night with her date, with her boyfriend or her date, to the porno theater without even telling her where she's going too. That's a lady's dream, isn't it? Exactly, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, they, that and that's when Travis is trying to woo someone. Like that's when he is on his absolute best behavior, and he doesn't know what's wrong. So, that's the
0: thing. Like he <laughs> thinks he's innocent doing this. Like, hey. well, that you
1: know. But there is like, there's parts of him. The part about that that is the most t- that lets me know how bad of a person he is is that everything else he does. There's like levels of malice and like level. Of actual hate directed at people, he's trying to be nice there, like like he's trying to like get her to like him. Like there is no like uh, pointing guns at people, you know, looking at me like that's everything else. But that's him trying to woo a girl. That's how like that, so that to me says all you should know about it.
0: <laughs> and now we go from taxi driver to observe and report. And like we both said this movie is like a un unheralded masterpiece when this came out. Nobody's ever done anything like this, and I really risk Jody Hill would direct more movies than he does because what he does with Seth Rogen, he brings out Seth Rogen's best work in Observe and Report, and even some of Ray Liotta's best stuff.
1: Uh, I always really liked Observe and Report I felt bad for observing Report because to put you back in two thousand and nine, um, uh, it came out right around the same time. Or at least it felt did as this terrible Kevin James comedy, Paul yeah. Blart Mall and they both came out around the same time. And that movie is as shitty as it sounds. That movie is Kevin James like being fat. And falling around in a, in a mall security guard job. Like that's it. I'm sure there wasn't even a script and it's rated PG. And so Observe and Report came out around the same time and the trailers, like it's such an odd movie. So the trailers have to play up the comedy and it is a right. comedy. It is a comedy, but it's not that type of comedy and it's not even the type of comedy you were expecting from Seth Rogen necessarily. You, you, you weren't getting... Right, you weren't getting Pineapple Express, you weren't getting... This was right after that, too, which I think, that which Pineapple Express is amazing, which I think the success of all that stuff led to some of these projects. But Observer Report, anyway, did did not do well when it came out. No, it bombed hard. It bombed hard, and people seemed to walk out of it confused. Like, people seemed to walk out of the theater, like, the general feeling seemed to be more confusion and kind of being off-put a little bit. Yeah. Because it is comedy's Taxi Driver. Like, it is, like, was purposefully a comedic answer to Taxi Driver. And it works, like, gangbusters. Like, it is so ridiculously dark.
0: And, and I can watch this so often. I mean, it never gets old.
1: It's hilarious. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. Like, it's funny. There's so many different funny things about this movie like his relationship with uh what's that Luis Pena is that the guy's name michael Pena. michael Pena. excuse me michael Pena. his relationship with michael Pena is hysterical in this i movie. mean it's so great man he's it's never so- been better he's never been funnier this is still my favorite just hearing his voice cracks me up and their interactions um his inter- his relationship with his mom like the- oh my god is so hilarious Oh my god, it's so funny. Anna Ferris in this is in just about everything. Anna Ferris is is just a funny person, and she's great in this and as just the bitch that he's in love with. And um, she's a truly <laughs> terrible person, but so is he. Like, so is he, and like he has this kind of sadness about him, and there is a part of him that you want to root for, but when you sit back and think about it, like you would stay away from
0: this guy. This guy is, yeah, he's not going to be your best bud. Like this is Travis
1: Bickle with a, this is Travis Bickle as an (laughs) incel almost, or this is before we had incels. Uh, But this is people would argue that see, I think people would incorrectly argue that Arthur Fleck is Travis Bickle as an incel. I don't know about that. I don't think so. But uh, anyway, that's a different discussion. I do think that th- this is basically supposed to be like a light-hearted, softy, lovey, Seth rogany y Travis Pickle. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, b- because you do root for him in a way that you don't root for Travis. You know,
0: I'd love to hear this uh, pitch meeting that they did with Legendary Pictures because that must have been <laughs> –
1: at that point in time, I bet it was just, hey, it's some guys that worked on Pineapple Express. All right, give him some money, but not too much. That was it. I bet that was probably the whole conversation in 2008, trying to give them a job. Those guys could do anything they wanted to, and they did. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, and they did. That's I mean, so... Yeah, you know, but um I observe a report and report and the um the soundtrack is great. It's got pixies, it's got queen, and it very it gets you in the feels, you know, like you get into it, like you can't help but root for Ronnie. Like you just you can't help it, you know. I at least every time I've ever watched it, I've probably seen it four or five times. I get wrapped up in it. And, and I'm re- probably right there with you. I've probably watched it about four or five times. Yeah. And I get I, I get wrapped up in it and I can't help but to root for Ronnie like I can't I and and that's why it's different in a way like he's not like he is a dick but he's not and he is a sociopath and he is dangerous but he's not a monster like Travis is like Ronnie's not an out and out monster like Ronnie cares about his mom like Ronnie yeah that there are things that redeem Ronnie that (laughs) that don't redeem Travis
0: right and the thing about Observe and report. I love the most is probably how serious Ray Liotta is like the whole time he's with Seth Rogen. Oh yeah, and it makes me laugh every time. Yeah, he plays it straight. I mean, he put
1: like Ray Liotta is the straight man. They just were like Ray Liotta. We're just gonna pay you. Like there's certain actors that sometimes we just pay to show up and do their thing. And that was just we're just gonna pay Ray Liotta to show up and do your thing and do it well. And he does, and he did and he played it very straight and the movie definitely feels like it takes place
0: like in a reality like ours
1: so and then that's in part because of things like how good Ray Liotta and Anna Faris are
0: and especially the security guards that work with uh Ronnie too are perfect because they are so like security guards uh, just total and, and total and dorks
1: Total doofus. like, you know, they, oh, it's, it's wonderful. Like, and it's not a long movie too. I reckon if you're just trying to get something, if you're in a bad mood, I think Observe and Report is like chicken soup for the, for the cinematic soul. Like there's the type of movie that you can just put in and, you know, within 20 minutes of watching that movie, I know I'm in a great mood.
0: Yeah, it's, it's great. And, Gosh, man, it, now I feel like I'm to watch it again this week. Yeah, yeah, I
1: may just, you know, start it over. Why not?
0: <laughs> what else do I have? And, God, there are so many great things. Like, the flasher is great in this film, even though that's, like, horrible oh, more than watch. It's, like, so hilarious when it happens because it's so dark and it's so unexpected when it eats time that it happens
1: yeah and you know and it does involve like the 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 climax there with where is my with the pixies going and the slow motion (laughs) and it just when when he fucking shoots that guy you just (laughs) i laugh so hard (laughs) every time it's just and and then he turns around and he just he tells her off you know he's he's at it with her after he just shoots this guy down but yeah it's uh it's great uh there's not a there's nothing to uh, not like about Observer and Report. It is it is uh, cinema's comedic taxi driver. Ab- absolutely,
0: 100%. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining me tonight. And everybody, this has been What to Discuss Now. Have a good night, Steve. you, hey, buddy. See ya.